Um, we kind of like to think of this as, um, it's kind of like our living room, you know, in your home. And we have just come together um, as a family of believers just to worship the Lord. And so all of the songs and all the stuff that we talk about, all the stuff that goes on on this campus is all about Jesus Christ, whether it's in children's ministry or music or whatever it is we do. And um, we're, we're glad you're, you're here with us. Uh, obviously, the, the Bible is, the, the, is kind of our guidepost to all that we do. And so um, inside your note, um, you know, little thing you were given, your program, you will see all the Bible verses that I'm going to talk about. If you don't have a Bible, they'll all come up on the jumbotrons because we want you to see what the Word of God says for yourself. Now, I'm going to take it and I'm going to maybe help you, you know, understand it a little bit more. But uh, this is a time where we're going to just enjoy getting into the Word of God and, and take those notes and, and um, look at them. Maybe you can go back over them later on with your family or somebody else or throughout the week. You can look at those notes and, and maybe the Lord will speak to you. Maybe he already has through a song or, or something. And I want you to know we're, we're in a series here at Big Valley Grace entitled Devotion or devoted, where we've been exploring what God's Word has to say about marriage. And one of the interesting things about this book is that God has a lot to say on lots of different topics. I mean, you name the topic, and God has something to say. God has some wisdom, some insights that um, He has for us, and obviously He has a lot to say about marriage. Today we're going to talk about the one thing that will destroy a marriage— or a family, or an individual um, faster than anything else, and, and that's adultery. In fact, for some of you, even the mere mention of the word causes your stomach to turn. I know, I've done this for 25 years here at Big Valley Grace. Um, the mere mention of the word causes you great pain, some of you. For some of you, it, it causes you shame. Um, it brings back uh, horrible memories. Adultery, you know, destroyed your marriage, destroyed your family. And that's why God says in Exodus chapter 20, do not commit adultery. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Now, whether you believe in God or not, and we know that there's lots of people here who come and they're checking out this thing called Christianity, and you don't know whether you believe in God or not. You, you don't know whether you believe in this book or not. But all of us would agree with that. God says, don't commit adultery. Don't do it. And one of the reasons why is, is that God knew the, the devastation that adultery caused. Not only for, you know, those that, you know, had to experience it, children, an unsuspecting spouse, but also for the person that actually commits it. It's a devastating thing. It causes incredible pain and heartache and sorrow, and, and God says, look, don't do it. Don't do it. Now, um, the purpose of tonight's message isn't to resurrect your past, okay? If you've committed adultery in your past and you've confessed it to God, then, 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 then you've been forgiven. 
God forgave you. God has the power to bring something good out of it in your life, in your children's life, and in your spouse's life. The point of this message tonight isn't to drag up your past and to you know, make you feel crummy or anything like that. That's not the point of it. If you went to God and said, God, man, I'm sorry, I sinned, I blew it, God forgave you. And the God that's revealed in this book has the power to take that crummy thing and do something really cool with it. Today I want to focus on, on the future. It doesn't matter what you did last week or last month or last year or, you know, ten decades ago. What matters is, is what you do today. That's what matters. And the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 13. The Bible says, give honor to marriage. And whether you're a believer here or you're just exploring Christianity or whatever, man, hard to argue with that. God says, give honor to marriage and, and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. All throughout the scripture, God has lots of really fantastic things to say about this thing called marriage. And this is just really beautiful. Give honor to it and remain faithful to one another. Beloved, this is God's will. He wants you to honor your marriage. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse. Now, unfortunately, in today's world, it isn't easy to stay faithful to your spouse and honor your marriage because we live in a time when basically anything goes. Our values here in America are so permissive, it's unbelievable. I'm just watching this country go to hell in a handbasket. Hollywood is totally obsessed with sex. Adultery is commonplace in, in most shows and, and the movies that are out there. And any show that has, you know, marriage in it, it's always portrayed as this weird, wacky thing. And usually the husband is some total idiot. Hollywood doesn't honor marriage. Usually. Sex is used to sell, you know, everything from cars to insurance to beer to fast food. We're bombarded with sex everywhere. And when you put it all together, you don't stand much of a chance of keeping your marriage pure or honoring marriage. And that's exactly the way the enemy wants it. As much as I believe in a God who came to planet earth in the form of a man so that we could understand God, that we could somehow have a relationship with God. He, he came as one of us. I also believe in the devil and the demons. And the devil and the demons want to make sure that you don't honor your marriage. That you aren't faithful to your spouse. And so you just, you know, turn on your TV or open up a magazine or drive down McHenry Avenue, look at the billboards, and man, there's just sex everywhere. It's just everywhere. 
And as I said, the chances of keeping your marriage pure are slim unless you establish some guidelines for your life, which unfortunately in our country, people don't do that. You don't stand much of a chance unless you really have set, you know, some guidelines for your life as an individual, for your marriage, for your family. And that's what we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But before I get into it, I want to quickly give you the process of immorality. I want to give you the process of how an affair happens. You see, people don't just fall into immorality, especially if you're a committed believer. Even the proverbial one-night stand just doesn't happen. People don't lead moral lives one day, and then all of a sudden, the next day, they, they live an immoral life. Okay, there's a, a process that goes down that makes a, a person vulnerable, if you will, to, to an affair. So here we go. Step one to having an affair. And I want you all to pay attention. I don't want anybody here thinking, well, I'd never have an affair. It never happened to me. I, I didn't even need to come here tonight to hear this message. The Bible says, take heed, lest you be the one who falls. Step one to having an affair, you, you, you accept sinful thoughts into your mind. That's where it begins. The Bible says in James, temptation is the pull of a person's own evil thoughts and wishes. These evil thoughts lead to evil actions. You see, one of the fundamental truths about Christianity is this. Christianity teaches that we are all evil. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, some are more evil than others. Obviously, Hitler was, you know, on the evil scale way over here. Jeffrey Dahmer way over here. Stalin way over here, okay? But Christianity teaches we're all evil. We've all sinned. Some are just more evil than others. The Bible does not teach that we're all good and some are just better than others. No, we are all evil. Sin had entered our lives. It messed things up. And so we have this sinful nature, this capacity for evil, for wickedness, for sinfulness. Sin always starts in the mind. You, you, you look at these words of, of James. Adultery always begins in the head long before it ever gets to the bed. You know what the most powerful, the greatest sex organ you have is? It's this. This is the most powerful sex organ that you have. It's your mind. And this is the first step, is allowing sinful things into your mind. If you lose the battle in your mind, you, you've lost the battle, so you've got to learn to control your mind. If you think about good, happy, loving, kind, holy, righteous things, that, that's the way you're going to act. 
If you think about lustful, dirty, trashy, obscene things, that's probably the person you're going to become. It's impossible not to be affected by what you let into your mind. Now, if you don't do something about the crummy things that you put into your mind, the chances are pretty good that you're going to take the next step. And that is this. You allow non-physical, emotional involvement. Now, listen to me. Some of you are here at this step. Some of you are at step one. And tonight can be an incredible night for you. Tonight, the Lord, you're going to hear from the Lord, and, and, and God, you have the potential of sparing your life, your family, from some crummy stuff, if you'll really listen. Some of you are here at step two, and this might be how it, it, it goes down. You're talking with somebody at work, or you're talking with somebody at your health club, or you're talking with somebody at the grocery store, or you're talking with your neighbor, or you're talking with somebody, you know, here at church, and all of a sudden, you know, they start fishing for a compliment, or they, you know, you know say something that flatters you, or somebody starts to flirt with you. At that moment, you've got a choice to make. You either run for the hills or you allow it to continue. And whatever you filled your mind with is going to determine what it is you do. And listen, nobody in this room is immune from that moment when all of a sudden a little flirting goes on, a little flattery goes on. Starts out really innocent. Now let me quickly tell you why flirting with someone that's not your spouse is wrong. It's wrong because you're arousing a desire in that person that you, can, that you can't righteously fulfill. You're arousing in that person that you're flirting with a desire that you can't righteously fulfill. You can fulfill it. You just can't do it righteously. You get it? You can fulfill that desire you just stoked up. You just can't do it righteously. It's not your spouse. That's why flirting's wrong. Unless it's with your, your spouse. Some of you are in that position right now and with somebody at work, a neighbor, somebody right here at the church. You're not here because you want to worship the Lord. You're here because there's a girl here, there's a woman here, there's a guy here. This place isn't somehow immune from sinful shenanigans. I've done this long enough. I'm asking you to take this seriously and to understand it for, for what it is. It's sinful, flirting. Talking, flattery, fishing for compliments is wrong. And I'm telling you, listen to me, it will destroy your life. It will destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your family. Now, like I said, God is powerful. He's more powerful than adultery. But wow, it just can cause some horrible troubles. 
Now, another common scenario is allowing, uh, of allowing non-physical emotional involvement would be talking with somebody of the opposite sex about the troubles that they're having or you're having in your marriage, who's not a professional counselor or your priest or your pastor, someone like that. Or you're listening to somebody of the opposite sex who's having trouble in their marriage. Listen, if somebody ever comes to you and they start to unpack their crummy marriage, don't listen. Cut them off. Tell them they need to go talk to a professional. Tell them they need to go talk to a, a pastor. Tell them they need to get, just stop it. Knock it off. Don't think that something, well, I'm doing the Christian thing. I'm listening to them. No, 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 no. Satan's way, Satan's way better than you. And the last thing you need to do is listen to somebody's marital problems. Because it'll start out innocent. But like I said, I've done this a long time here, and I know where those things end up. And it's usually not, not somewhere good. Okay, step number three is you actually move to physical involvement. It started with cruddy things in your brain. You just let your mind be filled with crud and crummy stuff. And then you start getting involved, you know, in non-physical kind of stuff. And then you actually move to the physical. Okay, and this is where a huge line is crossed. Touching, kissing, hugging, intercourse, whatever. And once you've crossed this threshold, the chances of turning around and not hurting anybody are, are impossible. It's just impossible. Now, I've watched God do miracles, and there are miracles sitting in this room right now where that threshold was, was crossed, and there was pain, and there was sorrow, and there was mistrust, and it was really crummy for a long time. But wow, God showed up, and people committed themselves to holiness, godliness, and man, their, their lives, their marriages, their families are, are unbelievable. God, God does that. But there's a reason why we call those things miracles, because <laughs> they don't happen very often. If they happened all the time, then we wouldn't call those miracles. And then this always leads to step four, you begin to rationalize the affair. The Bible says this, God says, I want you to know that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's desperately wicked, and who really can know how bad it is? That's an important piece of data that God gives us about us. That, wow, I mean, our hearts are just goofed up. Beloved, because our hearts are so deceitful and wicked, we can rationalize anything, even committing adultery. Some of the excuses I've heard over the years are just unbelievable. And here's a good one. I'm only human. <laughs> yeah, you're only human, but being human is no excuse for sinful behavior. As a Christian, you have God's spirit indwelling you. Could you imagine, you know, a thief saying, hey, I broke into that house and stole their TV. I'm only human. We'd all say, well, that's stupid. Don't ever show up in my office. I'm sure there's somebody who will take that one. I'm only human. Because I'll, I'll, you know, I gotta, I'm on the second story over here. I'll throw you off the balcony. I'm not kidding, man. Just, what? You're just wasting. 
You're wasting my time. You think I'm an idiot? What do you mean you're only human? Give me a break. Here's another one. <laughs> we love each other. Yeah. Beloved, real love would never fracture and destroy another person's family. We love each other. Yeah. 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 And look, look at the carnage over there that you did in that life. Don't, don't use that one either. You're going to have to be more creative than, than that one. How about this one? This is probably the, the big one. God will forgive me. God loves us no matter what we do. And both of those are true. God will forgive you if you're a Christian, and God will love you no matter what you do when you have Jesus in your heart. But I think it's absolutely arrogant, absolutely dangerous to presume on the grace of God in this way. And I'll let that just settle in. What does that mean? I don't know. I'm not sure. But somebody who would flippantly go out and do something like that and say, well, you know what? God will forgive me. God loves me no matter what. If you're a true believer, that's true. I think it's a dangerous thing to do to presume upon the grace of God like that. And that might be uh, some insight into whether you really know the Lord or not. You're not going to stand before me. But somebody who could do something like that and say, oh, man, well, it's no big deal. Man. You know, God will forgive me. <laughs> I, may, I may dive out of the office in case a lightning bolt just, you know, I don't, I don't, want, I don't even chance that one. So an affair always starts in the mind, then it moves seemingly, you know, to a seemingly innocent, non-physical interaction, which then often leads to actual physical immorality, and then you work really hard to justify your sin, to rationalize it. So what do you do if you've blown it? What do you do if you've had an affair? What's the pathway back to purity? Well, let me give you three things really quickly, okay? Number one, you acknowledge the sin. Psalms 51, this is written by a man named David who had committed adultery. It was a horrible deal. He was the king of Israel, and he had had a sexual relationship with a woman that wasn't his wife. And um, man, the guilt was just horrible. And it says this, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sin, wash me clean from my guilt, purify from my sin. In the New Testament, you know, one of the real special verses for all of us is 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us for all unrighteousness. The first step back to purity is you just have to, you know, acknowledge this, the sin. Confess the sin. That's the first step. Step two is this, you got to end the relationship immediately. Hebrews 3 says, now is the time, today, if you hear God's voice speaking to you, do not harden your heart against him. And let me tell you something, you're hearing the voice of the Lord. 
God said, do not commit adultery. The Bible says, honor your marriage. Be faithful. You've heard from the Lord. And some of you, tonight needs to be the night that you go, man, I'm going to acknowledge my sin. I'm going to confess my sin. And you're going to end the relationship. Not, not tomorrow. Not, not, you know, Wednesday. You're ending it now, tonight. And then number three, you've got to avoid all contact with that person. These are the three steps back to purity. All contact, no phone calls, no text messaging, no emails, no working at the same place, which means you might have to you know, uh, quit your job, no attending the same church, which means you may have to move churches, no living next door to each other, which means you might have to move, no working, at the, you know, working out at the same health club, which means you might have to change health clubs, no contact. None. If you really want to get back to purity, you admit it, you confess it, you end the relationship immediately, and then you're no contact. You commit. Now, you might run into each other. And God says, you know, we're to be kind and nice and all that. But on purpose, you got to end these places where you, you might be. Now, just because you do those things doesn't mean your spouse is going to take you back. But at least you have now taken the steps necessary uh, to at least tell your spouse you're serious about this and certainly telling the Lord, God, I'm serious about this. I'm confessing my sin to you. I'm ending the relationship immediately, and now I'm going to end all, uh, avoid all contact. Okay? That's pretty simple, isn't it? And, and don't, don't think you can come to me and say, well, you know, I work with this. It ain't going to work with me. Save your breath. Find somebody else who will make you feel better. It ain't going to be me. You, you, you avoid contact. You quit your job. What's well, my job? Well, it was your spouse. You, you, you messed up. Don't tell me it's your job. You end it. Go get another job. Go somewhere else. Beloved, these are three things that you could do if you've blown it, if you've had an affair, okay? Uh, this is the pathway back. Now, here's where I wanted to get, okay? What are some of the preventative steps you can take? Even if you've had a, an affair in the past, maybe you've had two, maybe you've had ten, I don't know. You know, maybe you haven't had any. Maybe you're not even married. Well, I want to give you some preventative steps. This is the practical piece of, of this message. Things you can do to make sure that you never have an affair, okay? Uh, number one, preventative step number one. You've got to make a commitment to God's standard of morality. This is where it begins. You make a commitment to God's standard of morality. Not the world standard. Not Hollywood standards. Not the New York Times standard, not Cosmopolitan Magazine standard, not Self Magazine standard. You make a commitment to God's standard of morality. The Bible says in Psalms 119, how can a young person stay pure? How can an old person stay pure? How can a husband stay pure? How can a wife stay pure? Well, here's how, by obeying your word. <laughs> in other words, 
right, making a commitment to living this thing out, letting this be the guidepost to your life. I don't care what they're doing on all the TV shows. I don't care what they're doing in all the movies. They're all sleeping with each other. I can't even figure it out half the time. You've got to make a commitment to this. And part of making a commitment to this is really learning about what it says. Beloved, regardless of your past failures, okay, you say today, Lord, I'm going to live according to your standard. Lord, from here on out, I'm going to obey your word. Lord, I'm committing myself to live out your standard of morality in my life. And for some of you, 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 you have to go on a hunt because you don't know what it is. You've only heard a few things. But that's part of the commitment of saying, God, I'm committed to it. I'm going to find out what it is, and then I'm going to live by it. And if I'm not married... I'm going to commit that I'm only going to marry a man or a woman who is committed to the same standard of morality. It means that you agree with God about what he says about sex, when it's appropriate and when it's not. And having sex with someone other than your spouse is not appropriate. It's sinful. Under no circumstances is it ever okay, no matter what your background is. I was reading about Joseph in the Old Testament. He was seduced or tempted by his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife, and he had every reason in the world to give in to that temptation. He was young, he was virile, he was single, he was in a foreign country, he was in a culture that accepted that kind of behavior, he had been abused, his mother had died when he was young, his father had you know, overindulged him with things, his brothers hated him, in fact they sold him into slavery, he had a terrible home life, he was deprived of love and here's this beautiful woman throwing herself at him this guy had every reason in the world to give in but he didn't he said no way I'm not going to sin against my God in other words he had made a commitment to following God's standard of morality in his life and so here's this beautiful babe coming and, and flirting, and who knows what else. And though he had a terrible background, because he had made a commitment to God's standard, he said no, and he actually runs out the door. Maybe that's what some of you need to do. Maybe some of you need to do that right now. You, you need to run. Somebody's flirting with you and, and flattering you and, and all that kind of stuff. And you need to run. Knock it off. Confess it to God. Avoid, you know, in the relationship and avoid all contact. And that might mean you've got to change your phone number and your cell phone number and all that, your email address, all that kind of stuff. Proverbs 5 says, be faithful to your own wife and give her love and give your love to her alone. And that can go either way. Be faithful. This is God's standard. Be faithful to your own spouse. That's God's standard of morality. Give your spouse your love. That's God's standard of morality. It's a, per, it's a simple thing, the Word of God. There are people out there that make this book hard to understand. Oh, man, it's Bible, it's old, it's hard. No, it's easy. God didn't write it to trick anybody. 
It's pretty simple. There's God's standard of morality. Just be faithful to your spouse. Give your spouse your love. Well, there's a, there's a news flash for you. You're not going to hear that on TV. You're not going to hear that coming out of Hollywood. You're just not. There are forces at work that want to do everything they can to make sure that you aren't faithful to your wife. That you do give your love to somebody else. This isn't a suggestion from God. This is a commandment. Be faithful. Every one of you needs to publicly affirm this standard because it's the first step in protecting your marriage. You need to say to your spouse, I've decided that by God's grace, regardless of what you do, regardless of the choices you make, I will never be unfaithful to you because that's God's standard of morality. And I've made a commitment to that. That could be a cool thing you could say on the way home to each other, huh? Just look at each other and maybe you got married last week, maybe you got married last month, maybe it was 10 years ago, but look at each other and say, hey, I don't care what you do. I'm committed. I'm committing myself. And maybe you had a bad last year, maybe you had a bad 10 years ago. It doesn't matter what happened, all that. I'm talking about now. I can't do anything about your past, neither can you. But maybe you just need to look at your spouse in the eye on the way home and say, I want you to know I'm making that commitment to you. The God's standard of morality. Preventative step number two. You got to work hard to meet your spouse's needs. And I talked a lot about this in week one or two of the series. I don't remember what. But Philippians 2 says, don't look out for your own interests. This is what God says. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Now obviously, if you're married, that's got to include your spouse. So God's word is saying, hey, listen, husbands, don't, don't just look after you. No, you got to look after you. But also make sure you're looking after your spouse and their needs. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. And I love that because the attitude that Christ had was you had a need. He didn't. You had a need. You needed a savior. You needed to have your sins forgiven. And God so loved you, he sent his son down here to walk around on planet Earth and live an incredible life for you. He goes to a cross and dies a horrible death for you. Not not because he needed to do that. He put your need ahead of his. And God says, that's the attitude, men, that you have to have towards your wife. Ladies, that's the attitude you have to have towards your husband. Look, if you're single out there, that's the attitude your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiance better have. Did you get to choose? No one's going to put a gun to your head. I'm always amazed at some of the choices that people make. Really? That's who you chose? We're not living in some Middle Eastern country where you don't have a choice. That's it? He's selfish. He's unbelievable. Look, make a good choice, okay? So what are some of your spouse's needs? Well, a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Uh, Willard Harley, he was a a counselor in Minnesota, wrote a fantastic book called His Needs, Her Needs. I recommend you get it and read it. 
And in this book, he identified uh, the top five needs of both, most men and the top five needs of most women, okay? I told you, uh, or the top five needs of most men are sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, an attractive spouse, domestic support, and admiration, okay? The top five needs of a woman are affection, and I talked about these a few weeks ago, conversation, honesty and openness, financial support, and family commitment. And when you got married, in a sense, what you were saying was, was that you'd be the one who would meet these needs. That's what you were saying. I'm going to be the primary person. I'm it. I'll be the one who meets those needs in, in, in your life. And when you don't meet these needs, there's going to be trouble. Your spouse is going to get frustrated and all that. So you've got to work hard, and it's hard work. It's hard work. Preventative step number three, you've got to manage your mind. You make the commitment, I'm going to live out God's standard of morality. Uh, I'm going to work hard at being the one who meets my spouse's needs. And then you've got to manage your, your mind. Second Timothy says this, run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Paul is writing to this young preacher, and he says, look, run from anything that stimulates those youthful lusts. And all you got to do is think back to those days when you were in junior high and high school. Those youthful lusts that you had. Guess what? You can carry those right into adulthood. And the Bible says you've got to run from them. You've got to run. I was with another pastor uh, this week who said, you know, there are some moments when God says you're to dig in and resist. And there are some places when it comes to sexual stuff where the Bible says, no, 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 don't dig in. Run! And some of you, you know, man, you, you just need to run. If I were to project on a screen all the thoughts that ran through your mind this you know, past week, you'd probably pass out because there were some thoughts that weren't very God-honoring, were there? I mean, it's weird, huh? I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord, it's weird how, wow, I, yeah, I have weird, whoa, 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 where'd that come from? We all, we all have those. It's just weird. Remember, we have a, an old nature, a sinful nature. It's there. Though you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and though you've walked with God a long time, the old man's still there. The old nature's still there. We're still dealing with it all the time. And so every once in a while, we just, whoa, where'd that come from? We have these crazy, crazy thoughts. Now, you can't necessarily keep those cr you know, crummy thoughts from coming into your mind, but what you can do with those crummy thoughts is your choice. When that crummy thought comes into your mind, whatever it might be, you really can't do much about that at that moment, but what you can do is, is something with the thought. If you say, no, I'm not going to do that, no, I'm not going to dwell on that thought, no, I'm not going to meditate on that, then you're doing the right thing. You're managing your mind. And the chances are good that you'll keep yourself from actually committing the sin. But how do you do that? 
Beloved, the key to overcoming temptation that, that comes through crummy thoughts isn't to resist the thought. It's replace the thought. This is what managing your mind is really all, all about. Why? Because what you resist persists. So here you are. you got a crummy thought. And it comes into your mind. You, you don't want to try to resist the thought. I'm not going to think about that. I am not going to think about that. I'm not thinking about that. Because what are you doing? All you're doing is thinking about that. Managing your mind is, whoa, oh man, that's a crummy thought. I'm going to replace the thought with something else. So maybe you read the word, you put on some Christian music, you call up a Christian buddy of yours, someone you trust. You, you replace the thought. You don't try to resist it. The enemy wants you to try to resist the thought. You can't. It's like, all right, right now, I don't want anybody in here to think about a pink elephant. Do not think about a pink elephant. You are not allowed to think. You know, as soon as I say it, you, you, you're, you're just messed up. See? For some of you, how you replace the thought, it might be, um, you might want to write this one down. Change the channel on the TV set. Boy, there, there's that right there. It was worth whatever it cost you to get in through the door. <laughs> Crummy thoughts are coming in your head and you're just sitting there watching it. Turn it off. You're listening to some of that crummy music that comes in through your radios. Crummy, sexual, sensual music. Um, turn it off. Isn't it weird how hard it is just to turn it off? And then say, man, I got some really crummy thoughts, man. I'm going to go read the scriptures. I'm going to put on some Christian music that talks about the Lord. I'm going uh, you know, to read a good book. I'm going to call a good Christian friend. I'm going to pray. Now, sometimes, you know, you, you can have thoughts that just attack you all the time. And you're just, man, Tuesday night, celebrate recovery. Four or 500 people come down here. And they, guys get with guys. Gals get with gals after they worship. And, and it's a great place to learn how to really get your mind in the right place and have you know, companions that will help you keep your mind on the right things. Celebrate Recovery is about helping you learn how to replace those crummy thoughts and things in your life with holy, godly things. In Romans chapter 13, the Bible says, don't think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. We're not to think about them. That's why we have to manage our minds. Because if you don't manage it, man, we're just, you're just in trouble. You're, you're, you're in big, big trouble. Uh, preventative step number four, you got to monitor your media intake. Okay? Look, if you're serious about a fair proof in your marriage, there are some things on the TV, the radio, movies, you just can't watch anymore. Garbage in, garbage out, right? You've all heard that. What you put into your mind comes out in your actions. And, and here's the scary thing. Psychologists tell us that our subconscious never forgets anything. 
Which is why some of those off-the-wall, crummy things that come into your minds at times, they're simply being dragged up from some, you know, something you saw you know, a year, five, ten years ago. And there they are, and some image on TV, and all of a sudden you've got all these things that are just coming rushing back into your mind from all these crummy things you've watched. Which is why you've got to monitor your, your media intake. Psalms 101 says, I will lead a life of integrity in my own home. I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. Man, there, there's a verse that every Christian man probably ought to memorize. Now, in the culture we live in, probably we're not going to be able to keep all the vile, vulgar stuff away. But man, we, we really, we got to learn how to monitor our media in, intake. Preventative step number five, you got to minimize the opportunity to be tempted. Jesus said, keep watch and pray that you won't fall into temptation. Beloved, you don't want to get stung, you know, by bees. you got to stay away from them. Don't put yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. you got to be alert and be aware of them. And when you find yourself in a tempting situation, pray. Literally stop right then and there and pray. You might be at the mall. Right there walking along and something hits you, some trigger. Right there. Your marriage is more important than people walking by you going, dude, what's this guy up to? And pray and go, God, please help me right now. I, I got some crazy things running through my mind right now, some crummy things, sinful things. Then, you know, pull out your cell phone and call a Christian friend that you can talk with who's aware of the struggles, so they can pray for you right then and there. Let me share with you a couple of the big threats to your marriage, okay? Number one is the proverbial business trip. This, this is a place where you have to be very careful. Why? You travel alone, you fly alone, you're alone in a city where nobody knows you, you're in stressful meetings all day, and then you go eat somewhere alone, then you go back to your hotel room where you're all alone, and every hotel these days has a, a bar where others are there who are alone, it's just a place that is just ripe for adultery to, to take place. You need to be aware of the temptation ahead of time. And whenever you can, get somebody to travel with you. And if that's impossible, then take pictures of your spouse and your kids and put them all over the place. Have channels blocked into your hotel room, and you can, you can do that. Call your spouse and kids every night, no matter where you're at. Do things that remind you of your family. These are all things that you can do to minimize some of the, the temptations. Let me give you another one, and I just thought about this one. I'm going to do something that's just going to frighten some of you right now. My wife doesn't know this is going to happen. I won't be able to do it tomorrow. <laughs> this is my cell phone, and I'm going to give it to my wife. And she's free to look at anybody who's called me. She's free to look at all my texts. She's free to go through any messages that have been left for me. She's free to do it. And it doesn't frighten me one bit. Because there's nothing goofy in there. Some of you are going, oh, no, no. Oh, no, no, Rick, please. Please don't have us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You see, you're well on your way, aren't you? Step two. Having some flirty little conversations with somebody that's not your spouse. Maybe you're in step three. 
My, my phone can be at my house, and most of the time I've lost it anyway. I'm serious. And, and my daughter, my wife, she can pick that thing up anytime. Hey, you got a text from so-and-so? I, I'm not, it doesn't bother me. I'm not afraid of it. Some of you probably need to dump your cell phones because you have numbers on there. People have your number. You have numbers. You need to go get a new one. And there's some people who should never have your number again. Ever. If you're serious. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. Another huge threat to your marriage are the friends you choose to do life with. Listen, people who condone adultery or affairs or immorality or talk about lust or tell dirty jokes and encourage each other to do crummy things or think crummy things, let me tell you something, they're not your friends. They're not your friends. Telling you dirty jokes and telling you about all their crummy things they do and they're talking crummy about their spouse. and That's not your friend. Man, if that's your friend, man, I, I don't even want to know who your enemies are, man. The Bible says that bad company can corrupt your good morals. Bad company can, can mess up all the good teaching that you've learned from your pastor or your you know, small group leader or whoever it might, might be in your life. Another place that can be a threat to your marriage is the office. Office is right for budding romances. Everybody looks good, right? Everybody smells good, right? Everybody's on their best behavior. I mean, you go to work and you look good. You got your hair all combed. Everything's all looking good. Teeth are brushed. Woo! Smelling good. Acting good. Everybody's good. At home, you wake up and teeth are, you sludge on them and hair's all messed up. No makeup, <coughs> clothes, ratty, getting out of bed. By the way, ladies, it's one of the reasons why one of the top five needs of, of a man is, is that their, their, their woman looks good. Now, we understand there comes moments when the makeup and all that comes off. But what can happen oftentimes is, you know, when you were dating, man, you, your, 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 your boyfriend, your fiance never once saw you without makeup on. Never once. Then all of a sudden, you said, I do. And you haven't put makeup on since. And it's like, <laughs> what? Who, who is this? Well, it's, I married, you're my wife. Really? Well, I, it, no, now, I, it doesn't have to be makeup, by the way. You know, it just could be anything. Do you look attractive? Do you think about the fact that, you know, you think about that stuff? Um, preventative step number six. You got to maintain, you know, the proper relationships with the opposite sex, okay? Most affairs start between couples who know each other. A husband gets attracted to his buddy's wife or vice versa, and so you got to maintain the proper relationships with the opposite sex. So you got to be careful not to send mixed messages to the people you're around. There's appropriate behavior and there's inappropriate behavior with the people of the opposite sex. Don't, don't, don't participate in office games. Don't, don't do that. Be consistent. If you claim to be a Christian and you're flirting with the opposite sex, you're, you're just asking for it. Don't do that. You know, diffuse electric situations. Ever been with somebody and you're talking with them and all of a sudden, just for a second, there's eye contact and you just, something happens. 
and you know, whoa, 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 whoa. You just sense it. You got to diffuse that. Walk away, run away. Just get out of there. Avoid prolonged stares when you're talking with somebody of the opposite sex. Lingering touches. Watch how you touch the opposite sex. Listen, men, husbands, never touch another woman's face, ever. Ladies, never touch another man's face other than your husband's. Next to intercourse, this is the most intimate thing you can do is touch somebody else's face. Don't do it. Don't ever touch anybody else's face other than your spouse's. Otherwise, it's, it's just... It's not proper. And one of the preventative steps is to maintain proper relationships. Um, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Since you are God's people, do not, it is not right that any matters of sexual immorality or indecency or greed should be even mentioned among you. You've got to be very careful about the relationships that you have with the opposite Sex And number seven, you've got to magnify the consequences of committing adultery, okay? Uh, in other words, m- minimize the benefits. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, a man who takes part in adultery has no sense. He will destroy himself. He will be beaten up and disgraced and shame will never go away. Proverbs chapter 6 says, A man can hire a prostitute for the price of a loaf of bread, but adultery will cost him all he has. A preventative step is to go, you know what? I'm going to magnify the downside. And there's a downside, and it is huge. You need to ask yourself, will this be worth it? Look, look, we've all been tempted. All of us. I've been tempted. But I want you to know by the, by the grace of God, I never, I've never had an affair. And let me give you four reasons why just real quick and I'm going to end this. I know I'm late, but just give me, give me a couple seconds here. Number one, it's because I love Jesus Christ. That's number one. I love the Lord. I've made a commitment to the Lord. I've made a commitment to his word. Number two, I love my wife and kids. I, I, I could not imagine having to sit down with my wife or sit down with my kids and say, hey, um, your dad was unfaithful. I, I, I can't, I, it makes me a little bit nauseous to think about that. Number three, I love all of you. <laughs> I couldn't imagine an elder of this church coming up here and saying, hey, listen, I need to tell you all something. Pastor Rick had an affair with somebody. I want you to know, I'm nauseous just thinking about it. I could not imagine that. I couldn't imagine all the teenagers that are now adults and have, who, who, who I had the honor and privilege of, of serving. Hey, did you hear about what happened to Rick Countryman? He was goofing around with somebody who wasn't his wife. I, I just couldn't imagine that. I, I love the Lord. I couldn't imagine having to tell my wife and kids that. I couldn't imagine that being told to you. And number four, I fear God's judgment. 
The Bible says in Proverbs 16, by loyalty and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for, and by the fear of the Lord, one avoids evil. And yes, I know the Lord loves me. And yes, I know I'm one of his children. I know that. And we are good, deep, close friends, but he's also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And frankly, um, I fear his judgment. Look, my, my kids love me. I know my kids love me. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a really good father. I know it. I've learned to be one. And I can play around with my kids and I can goof around with my kids as good as anybody. But you know what? They know. Dad, dad's dad. And we can cross a line. And we could get ourselves in a little bit of trouble. And there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. There's nothing wrong with them going, you know what, man? They, I know they love me. And they crawl on me and play with me. Blah, 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 blah. But somewhere in the back of their mind, I know, there's conduct that could get us into trouble. And so as much as I love the Lord Jesus Christ and all that kind of stuff, and I know he loves me and I'm his child, blah, 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 all that wonderful stuff is all true. But I also know somewhere in the back of my mind, you know, uh, a spanking from the Lord could come. And that's no fun. Why don't you close your eyes just real quick. Let me pray for you. We were going to sing a song, but we don't have time. I, I just want to pray God's blessing upon you, okay? Father, thank you for your goodness to all of us. You're good, God, you're good. And I know that there are many people in this room, Lord, that have had affairs, and the point, it wasn't to beat them up. My, my whole goal, Lord, was to help people see how affairs happen, that they might stay away from those things, and then how they might prevent them from happening in the future. The past is the past. And you forgive, and you forget. But God, may you somehow take these sobering words of mine, Lord, and use them in all of our lives. And maybe tonight would be a great night. Maybe there's somebody here, a man, a woman, who is headed for disaster. And they've heard from you, and they will take the preventative steps necessary to avoid destroying their own lives and the lives of their family. I believe that's going to happen, God.